You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Today we are going to be starting a new series in the the Bible book of Luke, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we find in the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And today's going to be a little bit different because it's going to be an introductory uh, message. It's going to be unpacking what we're going to be looking forward to in the months to come. I really trust that this is going to be very helpful for those amongst us today who uh, are looking in at Jesus, wondering who he is, what did he teach, uh, what's his life all about, is he really who he said he was. And it's also going to be very, very helpful and strengthening, I trust, um, for those of us here who have placed our faith in Jesus. Now, for about 45 years, the nation of Germany was divided in two. After the Second World War, it was divided into two. Um, East Germany, which was heavily influenced by Soviet Russia, and then West Germany, which was influenced by uh, the US and its allies. And really, you couldn't get more of a chalk and cheese thing going on. There was two very, very different societies being um, built uh, in the aftermath of World War II. And it was impossible almost for people to cross over from East Germany into West Germany. And many people attempted it over many, many years. There was a wall that went through uh, Berlin and people tried to scale this wall and get through into West Germany. And in the process, uh, dozens of people were gunned down. It was a a really, uh, it was a stain upon this country for many, many years that it was uh, divided in this way. And then 30 years ago, almost exactly to this date, this happened. The Berlin Wall came down. The Berlin Wall was, uh, was taken to pieces by the people of Germany. And as we mark this, this momentous occasion, uh, this, 30, this 30th anniversary, we've been seeing on the screens, on, our t- on, on the news and so on, we've been seeing people being interviewed about what it was like that day. What was going on for them that day? People sharing their accounts of where they were, who they were with, what they did to celebrate that this wall had come down, that this nation that was divided into two could now rebuild, that uh, families could be uh, reunited. And we've been seeing on the news this week these eyewitness testimonies. This was a, a huge, this was a major event. You need to understand that for people who were born after the Second World War, this was the biggest thing ever to happen to their country. This was, the, this was a huge deal. This, was, this sent shockwaves around the world, politically. It sent shockwaves around the world that this nation that was divided between these two um, ideologies, really, of capitalism and communism was now uh, one again, and they could rebuild for the future. And it was really, for, for those of you who were uh, old enough to remember at the time, I was only two years old at the time, but for those of you who were old enough... To remember it, it was one of those I know where I was moments. You knew where you were and who you were with when you turned on the TV and saw this wall coming down. It's something that you do not forget. You do not forget an event like this. A bit like uh, you know where you were when England got kicked out of Euro 96 on penalties and Gareth Southgate missed that penalty. I was only a young child at the time. I know exactly where I was and who I was with. Big moment etched in the memory, a painful memory for those who support English football. You know where you were when uh, Prince William and Catherine got married. You know who you were with. It was one of those moments that just etched in the memory. There's something about momentous occasions that crystallise in the the memory. If you'd asked someone from East Berlin the day before this wall came down, uh, what were you doing the day before it came down? Who were you with? They wouldn't be able to tell you. 
But if you ask them, what were you doing that day when this wall came down? They will tell you who they were with, what they ate for dinner, how they celebrated. Because something of this incredibly momentous occasion stuck in their memory. And as we go through the Gospel of Luke in the months to come, you need to understand that we are going to be coming across eyewitness accounts from people who would not forget an encounter with Jesus. From people who, if you asked them what they were doing that day that they met Jesus, they would be able to tell you everything. Because it was a momentous occasion. We're going to be unpacking credible eyewitness testimonies as we go through the book of Luke together. These encounters with Jesus were far more significant for these people than a wall coming down and a country being united. These were more significant to them than their own wedding day or their birth of their first child. These were visitations from angels and people being healed of leprosy and people who they knew was the town's beggar because they couldn't walk, suddenly being able to walk again. This, this is people seeing people walking on water and, and thousands of people being fed from the contents of a, a boy's lunchbox. These were, these were things that you do not forget. These are things that you do not get wrong. You do not misremember when you see something like this happening. These were the I know where I was kind of moments. That the encounters that people had with Jesus, the miracles that they witnessed, these were I know exactly where I was and I know exactly what I was doing kind of moments. That you just do not forget, they crystallize in the memory. And what I want to unpack for this, this, us this morning is that we can have a lot of trust in these stories that we're going to be working through in the months to come. And I want us to see that we can take great encouragement from the person who wrote this book, from the reason why he wrote this book, and I believe it's going to be applicable for our lives today. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to read the first four verses of Luke, and these verses will come up on the screens around the room. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So we're going to look at the who, the why, and the what now. So firstly, let's ask the question, who? Who's writing this? Well, we know that it's written by a man called Luke, who was a doctor. We know this because the book of Acts, which uh, details everything that happened to Jesus' disciples after Jesus went back to heaven. We know that Luke wrote Acts, and at the beginning of Acts, he said, I wrote to you, Theophilus, in my former book. And we know that Luke became a well-known associate of the apostle Paul, who was one of the early church uh, leaders and missionaries. So we know that Luke wrote this book. We know that he's a doctor. We know that from several places in the Bible. And we know from his name that he didn't come from a Jewish background. Luke or Lucas uh, is not a Jewish name. This was a guy who didn't grow up expecting for there to be a Messiah. He didn't have this expectation. He wasn't expecting that someone was going to be sent from heaven to come and save all humanity. He's coming from a, a Gentile background, a non-Jewish background. He's, he's not familiar with the customs of synagogue and temple and the law. And he's writing his biography of Jesus to people who are just like him. People who are not from a Jewish background. So that's most of us here. 
He's writing to them to tell them about Jesus and why he's so special. Now, I mentioned that this is one of four biographies of Jesus' life that we find in the Bible. There's, the other three are Matthew, Mark, and John. Matthew is writing primarily for a Jewish audience. He's a, a tax collector saved by Jesus. He becomes Jesus' disciple, and he's writing his, his gospel, his biography, to a Jewish audience. And he's using uh, terminology they would have understood in their Judaism. He's writing right at the beginning of Matthew. He spends a long time detailing that Jesus is indeed a descendant of Abraham, that he is indeed a descendant of King David, very important figures in Judaism. And he's showing them this is the long-awaited Messiah, the one that you've pinned your ho- your, all your hopes on, the one that you've waited for all this time. This is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what Matthew's doing. And then Mark is writing down Peter's memoirs. So Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of the inner three. He's really kind of one of Jesus' best friends. And Mark is described in the Bible as Peter's spiritual son. That's how Peter refers to Mark. And he's kind of obviously discipling him and mentoring him. And we know from early church history in a number of documents that Mark wrote down Peter's memories. So Peter sat down recounted what Jesus said and did, and Mark's writing them down as he's going. And then finally, you've got John, who was the youngest of all the disciples, who ends up going and living on for a long time, and uh, he writes his gospel primarily for those who are Greek. So that's what's going on with the other gospels. Now, you might look at this and think, well, hang on a minute, Luke's the only one of these guys who's not really an eyewitness. So you've got Matthew and John were there, they're disciples of Jesus, they saw exactly what was going on. And then you've got Mark who's writing down Peter's memories. So, you know, there's going to be a good indication that's going to be accurate. How can we trust what Luke has to say? Why should we bother listening to him? He wasn't even an eyewitness. Well, that is exactly the question that famed historian Sir William Ramsey asked in the last century. He was an archaeologist. He was already a knight of the realm at this point, And he decided that he was going to travel to the Middle East to, to discredit the works of Luke's Uh, historical uh, record. He was going there to basically show that that what Luke had recorded could not be trusted. He couldn't disprove uh, miracles. You cannot really do that, especially from uh, thousands of years ago. He knew that he couldn't disprove the claims that Jesus had done miracles, that he had risen from the grave. But he believed that if he could go to the Middle East and do his research and dig up uh, archaeological findings and all kinds of stuff that he could discredit Luke and say, well, he's inaccurate on this, 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 and this, and therefore we can't trust what this book has to say. So he did that. He traveled there as a skeptic. He traveled there saying, I'm going to basically show this to be full of holes. But he found that as he went there, every one of Luke's facts checked out. He found Luke to use specific and accurate terminology that reflected a careful chronicling of events, dates, and places. And Ramsey returned to Britain as a believer. And you can read all about his story online. There's books written about it as well. And he concluded this. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Luke was meticulous in his investigation. To this day, secular historians, you need to understand this, secular historians, people who don't believe in God, they refer to Luke's work. So secular historians of the Roman Empire refer to Luke's work as credible historical documentation. 
they reference it to place certain events in history. So being secular, they don't believe in miracles and that Jesus rose from the dead. But they do believe that what Luke has recorded is so accurate in terms of dates and times and so on, that they can actually place the events in history when they refer to his book. They, re- they assess his work as orderly, with meticulous examination and reporting. It's high-quality work. It's high-quality, with highly impressive Greek language written down. And so we see in Acts chapter 21, as Luke's recording exactly uh, the adventures that they got up to as he traveled around with the Apostle Paul, and he's recording what the other apostles were getting up to. We see in Acts chapter 21 that Paul gets imprisoned in Jerusalem. And we know that he's in prison for at least two years. And Luke doesn't get imprisoned with Paul. And so in that time frame, it is believed that this is when Luke conducted his investigation. That he's got at least a couple of years to roam around uh, Jerusalem and Judea and to take eyewitness accounts of Jesus' childhood, his adolescence, his baptism, his ministry and his miracles. And people who stood and watched, this is about, basically, this is about 30 years after these events. I don't know if I shared that at the beginning. That's the point I was making about the Berlin Wall, that 30 years later we've got accurate eyewitness accounts of what happened that day. We're talking 30 years gap between the events and Luke recording these in his gospel. He would have talked to people who stood and watched as Jesus was put on trial, who would have been witnesses of the miracles that uh, are described in this gospel he got in amongst people. He questioned them. They're quite, the d- details in this book are quite incredible. In some stories, you think, why have you bothered to record such meticulous detail? Well, that can only have come from people who are recounting stories. And they're saying, yeah, and I was with so-and-so at this time, and we were doing this, because it's true. Luke would have spent a lot of time with those people who spent time with Jesus, who sat at his feet, who fished with him, who brought tables and chairs from him when he was a carpenter. So, I say all this to say this, if you're here this morning and you're intrigued by Christianity and you're thinking, yeah, I, I kind of am a bit curious as to why these people would show up on a, uh, on a Sunday and worship and go crazy about Jesus, why they would bother doing this. Well, listen, you need to understand, this is not mythological writing. I've got dear friends who would say, well, you can't trust the Bible, it's a load of myths and it's all hard to understand. No, this is clear historical account. This is a very clear historical account. It's not... It's not akin to mythological writing that you might get from the ancient Greeks and so on. Jesus was investigated by Luke. Luke wanted to know exactly what people had seen and what people had said. People who had encountered his power for himself. Now for Theophilus' sake, and we're going to look at him in a minute, Luke's going to be a detective. He's going to interview people and find out the facts and accurately record them. Luke hasn't come... um, to be a believer because he's always you know, been brought up in the faith. No, he's, he's from a non-Jewish background, as I said. He's not expecting a Messiah to come along. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, yeah, all these people have just, you know, they've just been drip-fed it from birth. Well, you couldn't be more wrong because actually there's many here who haven't grown up with faith and who have, it, have looked into the claims of Jesus and who have found that Jesus really is who he said he is. And they haven't thrown their brains away in the, in the process. They haven't seemingly just gone with, with blind faith. No, there's reason to believe. And I want to show you that this morning. There's many like Luke here in this church who are well educated. Luke's a doctor. He doesn't get much more educated than that. 
and he hasn't thrown his brain away. He would have looked at, prior to coming to believe in Jesus, he would have looked at claims of miracles with a lot of cynicism. He would have looked at claims of healings with a a sceptical mind. That doesn't happen. He's a guy who studied science. He knows about the body. And yet we know that he becomes a believer in Jesus. We know he becomes uh, the Apostle Paul's key helper, really. And right at the end of uh, Paul's life, as he's about to be executed for his faith, he says, Luke's still here with me. Everyone else has fled, needing to preserve their own life. Well, Luke's still here with me. This is a special guy who's not been brought up with this. He's, no, he's come to see Jesus for himself. Now, we see that in Acts, Luke is journaling through their adventures with uh, sharing Jesus to the, the wider world. And there's times when he's going, th- you read it and he's saying, we did this, we did that, we went here, we saw this happen. And we know that Paul was using Luke's biography, Luke's gospel account to encourage the other churches. It was, it, histor- history teaches us that this was the gospel that Luke used and commended to, sorry, that Paul used and commended to the churches that he was planting. So this was a very important document to the early church. And Paul even quotes from Luke in one of his letters. He quotes from the book of the Gospel of Luke. So this is an important um, piece of writing that we're going to be working through. It's an it's important account. And we know that Luke was uh, a contact of Mark, who I mentioned earlier was the guy who writes down Peter's memoirs. So Luke has the opportunity to check out with Mark, what's, you know, is this accurate? Does this actually your understanding of what happened? And there's a lot of um, crossover between Mark and Luke. There's a lot of common themes and threads and stories. So we're not looking at something here that's kind of a bunch of fairy tales. We're not looking at something here that's a load of mythology Maybe that's what you think. Maybe that's what you, you thought even before today. Respectfully, let me point out that we have multiple sources. We have four accounts of Jesus' life written for different audiences, and yet still with a lot of symphony between the accounts. There's a lot of agreement between these four Gospels, all written within a relatively short timescale of the events. In the case of Luke, just 30 years after the events. Which when we think about the eyewitness accounts of people who saw the Berlin Wall coming down, we know that when you see something momentous, it's going to be accurate. It's not going to be that you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I saw it happen or not. No, when you see a wall come down, you see a wall come down. When you see someone get healed, you see someone get healed. There's no two ways about it. There's no misremembering this information. For those of you who are, uh, have been married for maybe 30 years or more, you remember what you wore on your wedding day. You remember what you ate on your wedding day. You, you remember which uncle made a fool of himself on your wedding day. You remember who had too much to drink. You remember these facts because it's a special day. Can you remember the day before your wedding? Probably not. You wouldn't be able to tell, you, tell anyone what the weather was like or what you ate that day. But on your wedding day, you remember what the weather was like. You remember who was there. You remember the big facts of the day. This is no fairy tale. These people have not misremembered Things. They've not, things haven't kind of developed like Chinese whispers. These are big events that people would not forget. So we know something of the author Luke, but who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to a man who he refers to as most excellent Theophilus or most honorable Theophilus. This is an interesting one. We don't know a lot about Theophilus, but again, from his name, we can, um, we can work out that he wasn't from a Jewish background. He's got a Greek name, which literally means loved by God, which is a great name. Theo, which is where we get the word theology, means God, and phylos or philo means loved by. And uh, 
we can, we can infer that he's not from a Jewish background, that he didn't, again, like Luke, hasn't come from this, this place of expecting some things to happen, not coming from a place of believing in the God of the Bible. And this use of the word most excellent or most honorable indicates to us that Theophilus was a Roman high-ranking official. Why do we infer that? Because in Acts, whenever uh, Paul and others come across high-ranking government officials, they are referred to as most excellent or most honorable. They use exact same phrase here. So we know that Theophilus was a high-ranking guy. It's a little bit like in Parliament, how our politicians will refer to other politicians as the, uh, the, the right honorable gentleman. Now, they do that having accused that right honorable gentleman of being a liar or a, you know, a thief or a, some sort of criminal. And then they'll say, and the right honorable gentleman. That's exactly what we're looking at. This is the title that is used of someone who's in power. So Theophilus has got some kind of power. And clearly, he's heard about Jesus. This movement's gaining traction by about AD 60. People are, are, are claiming that, they, that they've seen Jesus rise from the dead. They're, they're claiming that they're following him, that he still works miracles today. And Theophilus has some sort of professional relationship with Luke. And he decides to pay Luke to compile this investigation and biography. That's why both Luke and Acts are written to Theophilus. Because uh, in those days, as is the case now, when someone pays for you to do something, you acknowledge them in your work. You acknowledge them. And that's exactly what's going on here. Now, Luke's a doctor, and doctors rightly earn good money. There probably isn't a more important job than a doctor. Now, before you, you, know, you try and uh, you know, argue with that, these guys save lives. Doctors save lives. Now, you might be thinking, you might be a paramedic here or a nurse, and you might think, well, we also do that as well. But doctors are highly trained, they are highly educated, and they save lives. There's not a more important job out there. So Theophilus has got to make this worth Luke's while. Luke's got a couple of years in Jerusalem and in Judea. He's got a couple of years in the area whilst Paul's in prison. Yes, he'd go and see Paul, I'm sure, and make sure he's okay. But he's got a couple of years where he could go and practice as a doctor if he wants to. There's going to be no shortage of work for an educated Greek man. There's going to be no shortage of work. Greek-speaking, really intelligent guy. There's going to be no shortage of work. So Theophilus pays Luke good money. He sponsors this investigation, and off Luke goes to take the eyewitness accounts. Why is there urgency? Why does Theophilus decide to do this now? Why doesn't he wait to see how it pans out with Christianity? Why doesn't he wait to give it a couple you know, more decades, see if, if this sort of lasts or whether it's just a fad? Because there would have been lots of fads in that time, people claiming to be special and then people following them for a little while before it all comes collapsing down. Well, there's urgency because people didn't live to very, very old age. And uh, if, they, if they lived to their 70s, they wouldn't go on much beyond that. It was very, very rare for people to live long into their old age. It wasn't like now where people, it's not unusual to meet someone in their 90s. We know that at this point, people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus and what he'd said and did would be starting to die off. It's, it's, it's crucial that right now they start to get the facts down. It's crucial that right now Luke goes in and starts to find out from people exactly what happened. And the apostles were under threat. Paul's in prison. James has been killed. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And it's time to go and get the facts. It's a good time for him to undertake this investigation and compile this biography. So we have the, the who, we have a little bit of the why. Let's ask, why was this book written? What can we, what can we expect from this book in the next uh, few months and however long it takes? Well, 
Luke gives his reasoning. He wants to form an orderly account about the things that have happened. And it's about as orderly as it gets. We have the most detailed biography of Jesus' birth and his childhood and his adolescence than we do in any other of the biographies of Jesus' life. We have a huge emphasis on Jesus' teaching and indeed his life of devotion to God the Father. We see the betrayal of Jesus, his trial, his crucifixion and his resurrection in great detail. This is a magnificently detailed document. And we see major themes in Luke's writing. Firstly, we see that he wants to, he wants to see perhaps more than any other uh, theme in his gospel that Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. Some people have come to refer to this as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because we see here that Jesus was dependent on the Spirit to empower him for his life and ministry. So if you want to grow in, in relationship with the Holy Spirit and in a knowledge of who he is and what he does, then we're going to find out more as we dig deeper in Luke. He wants us to see the importance of prayer. He's quick to highlight Jesus' devotional life. Who wants to grow in prayer here? I want to grow in prayer. Well, we're going to grow in prayer as we dig deeper into the Gospel of Luke. He's keen to show us Jesus' love for outsiders. We see so many stories here that include outsiders. We see highlighted in this gospel the dignity and value that Jesus gives to people who were not highly valued, not highly esteemed in that society. Women and children, foreigners, those that were deemed dirty and worthless. Jesus includes them. He gives them dignity. Perhaps more than in any of the other Gospels, we see that Jesus came and dwelt among the outcasts. It's Luke who records in chapter 19 that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And I pray that as we go through this book, our heart for the outsider, our heart for those that maybe society have turned their back on, that our heart will grow for those people. As he investigated Jesus Luke couldn't help but see Jesus' compassion for the lowly. Just imagine Luke sitting down across the table from people who were prostitutes and who were um, just cast, people just cast away because of their disability and so on. As he just sat there and he realized, wow, these people have been radically included. Luke couldn't help but look at his own life and think, I'm an outsider. I don't deserve to be in on this myself. I'm not even of this Jewish descent. And yet Jesus has included me, a Gentile. And this book is written that you might have certainty. We see that as he writes to Theophilus, that you might have certainty about the things that you were taught. That you would have certainty because it's that certainty that produces hope. That we have hope. This is a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of hope that Jesus is who he says he is. That he did indeed come to seek and save the lost. That he did come to save even us, sinners, those who have messed up our lives, that Jesus has come to save us and place us in relationship with the Father once more. This is a gospel of hope. He writes that we would have certainty. Jesus makes big claims. He makes big promises, and we can have a certain hope. And if, you, if you're here this morning, you don't have that certainty. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're here and you think, yeah, I've heard all this before. I don't know. I, I don't know why these people are here. I don't know why I'm here. I'm just appeasing someone. I'm just coming because someone's invited me. Listen, I believe you can have certainty. I believe that you don't have to go on being a skeptic throughout your whole life. I believe you can have certainty 
in these things. That Jesus really is who he says he is. That he really is the son of God. That he really did come to save the world. That he did really rise from the grave. But let me tell you this. If you are skeptical here, please keep coming. Please keep coming. Skeptics, you are welcome. You are so welcome. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. Be like Theophilus. Invest into this. Invest into this investigation. Work out, is Jesus really who he says he is? Be like Luke. Ask questions of people. Ask questions after this service. Ask someone, why do you come here? Why, why, why do you bother spending ages trying to park and coming to this boiling hot building and singing songs that I don't really understand the words of? Why do you bother coming? What's Jesus done in your life? Why, why do you do this? Ask people, please. We'd welcome the questions. Ask questions. Go on the Alpha course in January. We're just starting to form plans for that. We're so excited. We've got an Alpha course uh, coming up in January. We've got another Alpha launch Sunday um, early on in January, which we're going to be bringing details out again about very soon. We're so excited about that. Get on the Alpha course. Ask questions. No question is out of bounds. Go and ask questions. Grill people. Dig deep to find out what's going on. Why are people so crazy about Jesus? But let me ask you this question. When you find the answer that you're looking for, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to say, well, I need to find some more reasons not to believe. I need to find some other angles I haven't considered. Or are you going to make Jesus your king? Are you going to say, okay, I've seen you for who you are, Jesus. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to perpetually search and try and find more reasons not to place your faith in Jesus? My own dad who's now in his um, early 70s and um, has very advanced dementia now, his, his mind's going. He, when I was about four years old, started going to church. My mum said, we should go to church, it'll be good for the kids. Um, maybe, you, maybe you're here because of that very same reason, I don't know. And my dad said to my mum, he saw people responding in church, I guess they were coming down the front and responding, giving their life to Jesus. And he said, I'm never going to do that. He said to her, I'm never going to be found doing that. And then months down the line, there he was, giving his life to Jesus. And for 27 years, he's now known the grace of God in his life. And even in his frailty, even, even in his confusion now that he's um, unwell, he still knows the peace of God. He still knows the peace of God. He still knows God's with him. Still tries to murmur the Lord's prayer with me when I go and sit with him. He still knows God. Listen, this is so important. You owe it to yourself to investigate Jesus. If it takes months, so be it. You owe it to yourself. This is the most important man that has ever lived. There's no disputing that. It's 2019 today because Jesus has split time. It's 2019, years since Jesus was born, roughly. We, you owe it to yourself to investigate Jesus. You, you must not leave any stone unturned. Don't just think, I, I'm going to, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to give this a couple of weeks. No, you should investigate Jesus. Finally, as we bring things to a close, what about those of us who have settled this in our hearts already, that we've placed our faith in Jesus? What about us? What now for us from this introduction to the Gospel of Luke? I want to say this, be like Luke. Be like Luke and leverage the gifting you have for the kingdom of God. 
Leverage the gifting you have for God's glory. Luke was intelligent. He was good with words. He was well-educated. And he ended up writing Luke and Acts proportionally more than anyone else in the New Testament. These are massive books, and they're so helpful for us. Basically, an introduction to Jesus and introduction to the church. These are such important works. He wasn't an apostle. He didn't pastor a church. He didn't have his name in lights. But he stayed faithful to God and to his leaders. And he ended up being very, very fruitful indeed. He used what God had given him. He was good with people. He's, in Colossians chapter 4, he's called the beloved doctor. These people loved him. They loved this guy. He got in amongst people. He interviewed people. He took eyewitness testimonies. You have to be good with people to go knocking on doors and saying, hey, can I come in? I want to just talk to you. I heard that you met Jesus. Can I take down? You know, he is good with people, this guy. And my question, with, my question as we come to close is this. What has God given you? What has God given you? Maybe you are intelligent. Maybe you're intelligent and you think, with this intelligence, I can make lots of money. Well, let me say, great, but let me add one more thing to that. With this intelligence, you could make lots of money and pour it into the kingdom of God. It's a good ambition. It's a good ambition. Maybe you think, I don't, I'm not intelligent at all. I, can, I can't even read or write. Maybe you're good with people. Maybe you can put people at ease and ask questions about their life and share your story. What's God given you? Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you love words. Maybe you want to write for the glory of God. Maybe there's things that you can use, the gifts that God's given you, to write books, to post on social media, to write letters to people. People still do that, I think. Maybe you want to use the, 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 the gifts you've... Well, maybe gifts of writing, whatever it might be. 500 years ago, the, the printing press uh, came into being and it meant that the Bible didn't have to be literally written down by hand anymore. And so it meant that the truth of God's word could go right around the world. It wasn't just in the hands of the, the priests anymore. It could go everywhere. Listen, right now, a revolution is happening right across the world that's far more significant than even the invention of the printing press. You can say something online and it can be right around the world within seconds. We, we, can, we can leverage the gifts God has given us and we can impact thousands of people. Maybe God's put it on your heart to be a YouTuber and you could actually use YouTube to, to spread the gospel, to spread the message of Jesus right around the world. What has God, what's God given you? What creativity has he given you? Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you're a musician. What, what is it that he's given you and how can you leverage it for the glory of God? Because Luke had intelligence and he had a way with words and God used it. And God used it to a remarkable degree. Be like Theophilus even, who gave money. He leveraged the money he had for the kingdom of God. This document that Theophilus paid for has literally reached billions of people. And as we come to Christmas, the words of Luke are going to be read right across the world to millions of people, millions of whom do not yet know Jesus. Theophilus could never have imagined that his money, that as he paid for this investigation, that this would impact the world as it has. Maybe you've got money. Maybe you want to make money. Use it. Leverage it for the kingdom of God. 
quit looking to the left and to the right. Don't bemoan what you don't have. Don't think, if only I was like that, if only I had that gift. No, look at what you've got in your hands. And so I'm going to, like Luke, I'm going to use what God has given me, my position, my gifting, my whatever it be, I'm going to use it for the glory of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.